God has a name. And guess what? It isn't God. I know, I know you thought God is God's name, but God is a title. It's not a name. You know, I grew up attending a predominantly white high school, and I noticed a stark difference between the way Asian kids and white kids talk to their parents. Okay, case in point, as a Korean, I always address my mom and dad as umma and appa, right? It's not just a sign of respect. That's just what you know. You're taught to do that. But many of my white friends in the high school that I went to, like they would be calling their parents by their first name. So it'd be like, yo, Frank, can I borrow money for the movie? Sally, can I get some Lunchables? Can you cook something for me? And, and as, a, as, a, as a kid, that was wild to me, that concept, because as Asians, like, you got beat for doing that kind of stuff. But no, as all these, all my white friends, they were calling their parents by their first names, and I didn't realize it as a kid, but Appa and Umma are not my parents' names. My dad's name is Sungwai, and my, my mom's name is Hejun. Appa and Umma are not their names, it's their title. And in the same way, God is not God's name. God is a title. In fact, we live in a cultural context where the word God like, could mean so many different things to so many different people. Am I right? Living in San Francisco, being in the, the workplaces that you are, there is no singular definition of God anymore. Like, are we talking about the Christian God? Are we talking about one of the Hindu gods? Are we talking about the God of the MCU? Like, what God are we talking about? Case in point, my name is Mickey. Well, actually, it's Michael. I've been lying to you. But, but my name is Mickey. Do you know how many Mickeys there are in all the United States? Can you guess? Anyone? 500,000? Okay, that's actually quite a lot. No, 39,250 Mickeys in the United States. So if you were using the name Mickey to try and identify me, it wouldn't be really helpful, right? Because there are so many Mickeys. It's my name, but it could refer to many different people. So how would you gain clarity about which Mickey you're trying to identify, right? You'd probably go uh, search for my last name, which is Mickey Cho. Can you guess how many Mickey Cho's are in the United States? I actually couldn't find that, so don't answer that. <laughs> but you know what? What, what is funny is um, the old church I went to back at UC Davis, they hired a senior pastor recently. And uh, it's this old jolly Korean man, and his name is Mickey Choi. And so everyone's like, Mickey Cho is back? He's a senior pastor? He doesn't even know how to speak Korean. But anyway, there are probably many Mickey Cho's here in the United States as well. So how would you further gain clarity about which Mickey we're talking about? Well, one way would be to tell my story. My name is Mickey Cho, but which Mickey Cho? The one born in San Francisco on March 24th, 1987, cousin of famous comedian Margaret Cho, went to UC Davis and got a degree he doesn't use, started a church in San Francisco called 99 for the Rebels and the Runaways. One way we would identify which Mickey Cho we're talking about is to tell my story. You know, I really feel for all the Daniel Kims in the world. Because, one, you know, one of my best friend's names is Daniel Kim. And if you went to a Korean church, chances are there are at least four other Daniel Kims at that church with you. It's like the most common Korean name. It's almost like Grace Kim, right? And I know at least four different Daniel Kims that try to differentiate themselves by calling themselves DK, 
But they didn't realize every other Daniel Kim be trying that. So there's like a million DKs in the world, a million Daniel Kims. How would I identify my Daniel Kim beyond his name? By his story. I know his story. And that's how we identify people, by their name and by their story. Now, when seeking the God of our faith, we don't really think to apply that same logic to getting to know our God. The way we get to know our God is paying close attention to his name and to his stories. And so leading up to Easter, we're in a new collection where we'll be exploring all the various names of God found throughout scripture, specifically the Old Testament. We'll be exploring different Hebrew names like El Shaddai or Jehovah Rapha or Jehovah Jireh. And we will be exploring different stories of God that highlight his character, that highlight the traits of who he is and what he is actually like. And why is this important? New Testament professor Scott McKnight, he shared about how for years, um, when he would start every semester, he would give all his students two surveys. And the first survey was a set of questions about that student, like, what do you like? What do you dislike? What do you believe? And so on. And then the second survey he would give to every student was the same set of questions, but this time it was about Jesus. Like, what is Jesus like? What does Jesus dislike? What does Jesus believe? And you know what he found? 90% of the time, the answers for the two different surveys were the exact same. What does that tell him? It tells him that here's how you know if you've created God in your own image. He agrees with you on everything. And I think we live in a time where the God that we worship individually agrees with us on everything, right? He understands our political views, our worldview, a God who looks, thinks, and acts just like us. And one of the pitfalls in this cultural moment for the church is that we're in danger of crafting God into our own image instead of pursuing him on his terms, instead of getting to know who God is actually like. Often what we believe about God is more often a reflection of who we are than who God actually is. Uh, One of my favorite professors says theology is like a mirror to the soul. It shows us what's actually deep inside of us. And so we have to be careful not to craft God into our image. We have to seek God and get to know who he is on his terms. And so our hope in this collection is that as we explore the different names and stories of God, we lay down the image of God, images of God that we've created and we discover God on his own terms. Get to know who he really is and what he is actually like. That's exciting, right? Y'all excited for that? It's going to be good. Psalm 910, just a, a promise to get us started. And those who know your name put their trust in you. What a beautiful promise from scripture. There's a grace available to those who know God's name to put their trust in him. So our hope is as we get to know God and get to know his names, we will more easily be able to access the grace to trust in him. And so today we are going to start with God's revealed name, Yahweh. Look to your neighbor and say Yahweh. Why do I make you guys do that? It's so awkward, isn't it? I don't know. Pastor thing. All right. When scripture first speaks of God in Genesis 1, the Hebrew word that they use for God, the translation is Elohim. 
But Elohim is not a name. It's a title. It's like Umma. It's like Appa. Elohim, it simply means God or deity. We don't actually discover God's actual name until we get to Exodus chapter 3. And so we're here in the story, and the angel of the Lord appears to Moses in the form of a burning bush. Y'all seen Prince of Egypt. Y'all know. Y'all been to Bible class. You know what that story is. But God comes in the form of an angel to Moses in a burning bush, and he tells Moses, I've seen the misery of your people. I've heard their cries for freedom and for deliverance, and I'm coming to rescue them and bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. And so this is where the story picks up. We're going to go to Exodus 3. 13 through 15. It says, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord or Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Moses asked God, like, who am I to say sent me? with this great news of deliverance. And God replies, you are to tell them that I am who I am sent you, that Yahweh has sent you. Now, this is, um, sorry, this is going to get a little Bible nerdy. I know this, that's not really our crowd, but no, y'all, y'all super sanctified. Y'all going to love this. But you know, when you, when you go through the English translation of the Bible, do you ever come across like Lord in all caps? Come on, you notice that, right? Some of you don't because you, you haven't read your Bible, but it's okay. But, but for those of you who have, you, you've noticed that you come across Lord sometimes and it's all capitalized. You ever, you ever wonder what's with that? Like why? Well, the thing you have to understand is that there's a difference between Lord in all caps and just like Lord in regular punctuation and regular spelling. And the, the, normally when it's spelled out, Lord just simply means Lord. Like someone who has power or authority or influence. But when you see Lord in all capital letters, it's actually an invitation to pay attention. Because when you see Lord in all capital letters in your English translation of the Bible, it's actually a fill-in for God's divine name, Yahweh. The name Yahweh is derived from the exact same root as I am who I am. So when we say I am who I am in Yahweh, they're one and the same. If you want to go into specifics, Eya, is that up there? Eya translates to I am. It's in the first person. And so when God shares his name, he says, Eya, it says, I am who I am. But Yahweh is the third person, right? And so Eya means I am. Yahweh means he is. And so we get the, the name Yahweh derived from I am who I am, but it's just in the third person. Anyway, the Hebrews came to regard the word Yahweh with so much reverence that they would never take it upon their lips. It's kind of like um, if you've seen Harry Potter, right? Voldemort's name, you dare not mention because his name is to be feared. So instead they call him what? He who shall not be named. Like it's kind of like that, except God is not an evil dark wizard. But, but the, the, the Hebrews, they, they took this commandment, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain very seriously. And so in fear of accidentally profaning the name of Yahweh, they stopped using it altogether. 
And so instead, they would call him other names. And one of the most common names that the Israelites called Yahweh was Adonai, which translates to Lord. So whenever they came to the name Yahweh in their reading, they wouldn't say Yahweh, but they would say Lord or Adonai. And so this is why Yahweh is translated to English as all caps, the Lord. Now, some of y'all are confused. TLDR, whenever you see Lord in all capital letters in your Bible, it's referring to the name Yahweh. Y'all got that, right? That's easy to understand. And so God has many titles in scripture. He goes by Father, Almighty, Savior, Lord. And each of his titles reveals another attribute about who he is, a part of his design, a part of his nature. But Yahweh is more than a title. Yahweh is a name. In ancient writings like the Bible, a name was way more than a label. It was way more than just something that you use to order your drink from Starbucks or file your taxes with our IRS. Your name was your identity. Your name was your destiny, who you were at the core of your being. It was like a one word moniker for everything about you, everything that made you, you, your inner essence, your mickiness, your joshness, your danness, your justness, everything that made you knew you was wrapped up in your name. One old Testament scholar writes in the world of the Hebrew scriptures, a personal name was often thought to indicate something essential about the bearer's identity, origin, birth circumstances, or the divine purpose that the bearer was intended to fulfill. In other words, a name revealed the nature of a person, right? Think of the characters in the Bible, Eve, which translates mother of all living things, Abraham, father of many nations, right? Even Isaac, which means laughter, which is exactly what happened when his mother, Sarah, heard that she was going to get pregnant in her old age. Your names told your story. Your names revealed your identity. Your names said your destiny. Names were your autobiography in one word. How much have things changed, right? Like we got kids being named Apple and Table, you know, just cause, and you know, you know, the most popular name, um, a few years ago when Game of Thrones was, was at its height was Daenerys, right? Danny. And, um, people named their kid that just cause it sounded cool. But back in the day, you didn't name someone just cause it sounded cool. There was a deep meaning and a story and an identity behind the name that you were giving your children. And so Moses asks, when the people ask, who sent you? What should I say? And God responds, I am who I am. Tell them, I am has sent you. What does it say about a God who reveals and shares his personal name with us? Yahweh sharing his name was an invitation into intimacy with him. It was a way of saying, I want you to know me, who I am, what I'm like. I want you to know my nature. You know, this is why when I meet people, I don't introduce myself as Pastor Mickey. Like, um, I grew up in a culture where, like, you had to call your pastor's pastor or whatever, right? It was kind of just the way. It was a culture of honor. But I always found it weird when pastors force you to call them pastor, Right? I have no problem with people calling me Pastor Mickey, by the way. You can if you want. I know some, pe- some of y'all do. But when I meet people, I introduce myself not as Pastor Mickey, but as Mickey. Why? I want you to get to know me. I don't want you just to know what I do. I want you to know who I am. Like, can you imagine if you went around and you introduced yourself as like, you made people call you Engineer Mike or UX Kev or like, <laughs> that's a good one. I think you should keep that, Kev. That's a good one. Call him UX Kev. 
Or like personal trainer Vanessa, right? We don't really do that, but for some reason we do that with pastors. Um, I went, um, some of y'all know the story. I went on a trip with Isaac. He's in Hawaii right now having a great time. Half our church is in Hawaii. I don't know. I didn't get the invite. But anyway, Isaac, who's in Hawaii, <laughs> same. Uh, Isaac, a few years ago, we went on a trip to Half Dome. And um, this is when we were first getting to know each other. We were like three years into a relationship. And the entire car drive up, like he was so conflicted. Like internally, there was a war going on in his soul because every time he would address me, he didn't know if he should call me Pastor Mickey or Mickey. So like every time we talked in the car, I kid you not, every time he would be like, hey, Pastor Mickey. Oh, I mean Mickey. I mean Pastor Mickey. Mickey, like what do you think about this? Like every time he would go back and forth, Pastor Mickey or Mickey, Pastor Mickey or Mickey. And I was just like, you could call me Mickey. Like I'm not here this, is, this relationship is not just a pastoral church member relationship. I want you to know me. Yahweh's sharing his personal name. He could have just said, everyone call me Lord. Everyone call me master. Everyone call me God. But him giving his personal name was an invitation. It was saying, I want you not just to relate to me as your God. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know my nature. I want you to know what makes me me. I am who I am. This is a deeply personal character statement about who Yahweh is. But what does it mean? I am who I am means he is who he is. What does that mean? (laughs) It means he is the ultimate reality. He is the ultimate truth. I just think about that movie, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. I think that would be a really cool name for God. He is everything. He is the name above all names. He is busting out of the matrix into reality. He is ultimate truth. And think about the context of this moment, right? We have to look at the stories of God. The Israelites have been crying day and night for deliverance. And God responds by providing a promise in his name. I am what I am. In other words, I will be what you need me to be. If you need a deliverer, I'll be your deliverer. If you need a protector, I'll be your protector. If you need a savior, I'll be your savior. See, Moses, he would have been familiar with the names of the other Egyptian gods. And each of these foreign Egyptian gods, they had a particular name and was associated with a particular domain. So if you look at all the gods in Egypt, Ra, for example, was the god of the sun. That was his domain. Baal was the god of war. That was his domain. Isis was the god of children, women, and medicine. That was their domain. But when Yahweh says, I am who I am, it sets him apart from all of the other gods that people had known. Yahweh, he's saying, is not limited to a particular domain. This God isn't bound to a particular area of focus. I will be whatever you need me to be. Yahweh would become whatever they needed him to be. And this is the promise in his name that extends to us today. The first implication is that he will be what we need him to be. If we need deliverance, he is our deliverer. If we need healing, he is our healer. If we need comfort, he is our comforter. There is no domain that Yahweh does not inhabit. No area of our lives where he can't touch or break through in. You ever watch Inspector Gadget? Maybe I'm aging myself, but there was this cartoon in the the early 90s, maybe even late 80s, called Inspector Gadget. And it's this detective who's like a bionic man. And anything that he needed, 
Like he would change his arm into a can opener or like when he needed to scale high heights, he would, a propeller would come out of his hat. Anything that he needed, his body would turn into. Yahweh is kind of like Inspector Gadget, okay? There is no situation that he can't come through and fix. There is no problem he can't solve, no storm he can't still, no impossibility he can't shatter. He will be what we need him to be. And this is good news for us because Yahweh is not limited to one particular area. When he says, I am who I am, there is nothing he cannot do, no area he cannot touch. But the second implication of his name is that he is and will continue to be forever. Whatever character trait that Yahweh displays, he is that. No doubts, no second guesses. He is what he says he is, and that won't change. In contrast, you and I are not like that. We are only sometimes what we are, right? You ever meet someone and think like, wow, they're so kind, so generous, so patient, and like over time as you get to know them, you quickly start to realize, oh, no, they're only sometimes kind. They're only sometimes generous. They're only sometimes patient. If you've been married, that illusion shatters really quick. Like when I first married Krista, I know she thought, oh my God, he is the kindest, most patient, sexiest man alive. But over time, now I guarantee you, if you asked her, oh no, he's only sometimes kind, only sometimes generous, only sometimes sexy. Not a knock on us. It's just, that's what makes us human, right? We are only sometimes what we are. But Yahweh, in contrast, he is what he is and will forever be what he is, right? You can only depend on human beings sometimes to be what they are, but you can always depend on Yahweh to be what he is. And this changes everything. Right? We can trust in his character. When God says, I'm good, we can trust that he will be true again and again and again. In seasons where it doesn't seem like God is present or moving, I remember that he doesn't change or shift like the shadows. The God who came through before will come through again. He is faithful. So he is and will be who he is. The third implication of his name is that he is present with us. Yahweh wasn't just conveying his existence. He was conveying his manifest existence. What's the difference? The big difference between, there's a big difference between knowing that light exists and experiencing light. You know, for the longest time, I knew that Japanese A5 Wagyu existed. I knew about it. I knew that it was supposed to be good. I knew that it was supposed to melt in your mouth. I knew of its goodness, but I had not tasted it. And how many of you know there's a big difference between knowing Japanese A5 Wagyu exists and actually experiencing it for yourself? In the same way, God revealing his name was not just to tell the world, hey, I exist, I'm real. It was an invitation into his manifest existence. In Hebrew, the verb to be doesn't just mean to exist. But it means to express oneself in active being, right? Right before Yahweh reveals his name to Moses, he says his promise, I will be 
with you. In the name Yahweh, God makes himself known as a present being, present with and for his people. A helpful paraphrase that we read today might be, say to the people of Israel, I am present has sent me to you. And how many of you know, whenever God is present, that place is pregnant with his attention, his care, his power, and his grace. Wherever God is present, in that moment, it is ripe with miracles and breakthroughs and glory. God is saying, I don't just want you to know I'm real. I don't just want you to know I exist. I want you to know I'm here with you. There's something really powerful about that. And so he will be what we need him to be. He is and will be forever, and he is present with us. The name Yahweh. And so to close, as we head into the season of Lent, as we get ready to fast, as we get ready to fix our gaze and our focus on who God is, let's make our aim this season to get to know Yahweh, to get to know this God that we come here every Sunday, that we gather around, whose name that we revolve around, to know this God who is what we need him to be, to know this God who is and will forever be, to know this God who is with us. That is the invitation this season. And so would we set our hearts upon that this season as we pursue the name of Yahweh? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for giving us your name. Your name was more than just a simple introduction. Your name was more than just a way for us to give you something to call you. Your name was an invitation. The revelation of your name was an open door into your nature, into your identity, into who you are. And I pray this season as we continue to dive deeper into the names of God as we continue to hear the stories of who you are. That what we see in you would get released in us. That when we see that you are the God of power, your power would be released in us. That when we see that you were the God of miracles, your miracles would be released in us. That when we see that you're the God of love, that your love would get released in us. God, we want to know you. We want to know you for who you are. Right now, I want to invite you into one response. As I was uh, praying about what God wants us to focus on in this season of Lent, I just kept getting taken back to this story in Exodus. It happens a few chapters later. But Moses makes this daring ask of God. He, 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 he prays this prayer He says, God, would you show me your glory? And for some reason, when I thought about that story, it just resonated with the season for us. Um, Every pastor in the world is probably talking about it, and I have mixed feelings about it, but there is this thing happening in Asbury, Asbury University right now. There's uh, what some people are calling like this revival. And um, one of my friends is there right now, and he said there's like a quarter-mile line that's leading into the sanctuary. And what happened was on February 8th, um, last, last Wednesday, they just had a normal service. But after service, some random Gen Z kids just stuck, stuck around after and they just started praying and worshiping. And since that moment, um, there has been nonstop worship and prayer and testimony. People from all over the world have been coming and they've been worshiping nonstop since that day on February 8th. 
And there's this palpable hunger. And, you know, uh, it's a very, I think it's a complicated thing. I come from a charismatic background. I think there's a lot of aspects and nuances to what's going on there. But one thing that's undeniable is there is this tangible hunger for God. And there is no big name celebrity running it. It's literally just unknowns, unknown Gen Z kids, unknown generations of fathers and spiritual mothers that are there just fanning into this flame. And I feel like the invitation for us right now in this season of Lent is to just hunger for God's glory, hunger for who he is, hunger to know Yahweh. And so would you pray this prayer with me today? It's simply this, God, show me your glory. Make me hungry to know who you are. I want to know you. I want to know the real you. I want to know who you are and all that you have to offer me.